With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, Crack fans. A quick note before we get to today's Deciding Point episode. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties. My audio, not up to our usual standards, but still good enough that we wanted to bring this episode to all of you. So just wanted to give you a heads up. But without further ado, let's get to today's Deciding Point. Welcome to the deciding point, our Crack Rackets breakdown of all the action going on throughout the tennis world. The 2021 season officially heating up our first events of the year officially in the book and of course the Australian Open looming over every discussion right now going on throughout the tennis world. Joining me to break down week number one to talk a little bit about the mayhem in Australia. You know him as our Crack Rackets do everything. Forefather of the forehand slice, undefeated Missouri High School tennis coach. It's James Foster McDonald. Jamie, how are you doing after week one of the professional tennis season? Good. I'm feeling good. I'm excited. Uh, And let's be honest, what we're really all here to talk about today and we'll get to later, all of the drama uh, down under. But (laughs) that's been the most fun part, honestly. That's been way more entertaining than the tennis, I hate to say. Yeah, I definitely could have used the chaser, Jamie. I was not ready for all of this drama. I was not ready for all of this on-court action. We've got another Sabalenka title. We've got a Kyrgios mean tweet all within the first week of play. All exciting things for us to discuss here on today's show. So without further ado, Westoff, roll those credits and let's start the show. Okay, Jamie, so before we get to all the off-court drama in Australia, let's start with our first week of results. And of course, we talked about this a little bit last week, but the WTA event in Abu Dhabi, the two ATP tournaments in Antalya and Delray Beach coming to an end. It was Arena Sabalenka winning the first women's event as the season. Let's start there. She captures a straight set final over Veronica Kudermatova. Looked so good all week long. Your thoughts on Sabalenka and then your other takeaways from the first WTA event of the season sure um i mean look should we be surprised at this point savalenka is absolutely on a tear right now she ended 2020 with so much momentum um really promising for us right as fans to see her carry that through and start out 2021 in, in such good fashion so she's looking phenomenal and obviously as she continues this incredible run we're going to be expecting more and more from her and, and for me the big takeaway specific to this tournament but also to her is where does that leave her for 2021 with the field, right? I mean, COVID has put a lot of, you know, put a lot of halts, so to speak, on tournaments. So you're not getting everybody in the top 10 WTA side playing everything. But I'm really interested to see how she's going to fare. Obviously, she's done a great job capturing these titles, people beating people she's supposed to beat. How is that going to look when she's really in the mix with all of the top 10 players? Can she sustain this excellence? That's my biggest question now. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think there are two players who probably come into this Australian Open, you know, with plenty of confidence. One of them, Naomi Osaka, your defending U.S. Open champion. The other has to be Arena Sabalenka. She is the one person who hasn't lost in her last three weeks of action. She's the few, uh, one of the few people who got plenty of match play under her belt during this first week of the season in Abu Dhabi. And Jamie, my take for you, I know this is a bold one. I've said it on a couple of our Crack Rackets podcasts, but there's this neighborhood of power tennis that Serena Williams lives in, that Naomi Osaka lives in, and honestly, Petra Kvitova probably lives in too. I think they had a renters association meeting, and I don't think they're ready to name Arena Sabalenka a full-time owner in the neighborhood, but they're going to let her lease there. I mean, she rents some neighborhood in that brand of power tennis. When she plays as well as she did in Abu Dhabi, as and as Veronica Kudermatova learned in the final, there's not much opponents can do. Yeah, and look, she's on fire right now. And, and I think really the big question on the WTA side is who can sustain that firepower? Because, you know, you see it. You see it from players like Pliskova. You see it from players all sorts of, I mean, all across the age, right? I mean, you have up-and-coming teens who can hit the crap out of the ball. And you have veterans on tour like Serena who are still, you know, taking unreal cracks at it. So that power, it's there across the tour, but Sabalenka is slowly, as you mentioned, making her way into that era of uh, that area of I can do this consistently. And if she can, if she can do that across 2021, I mean, there's a lot of people who are in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I also think what differentiates her from some of those other power players, how fluid she is as an athlete. Really good mover north-south, and I think her anticipation plus her lateral quickness help her be a good lateral mover as well. But no, unequivocally the most impressive performer, the deserving winner of the title. Certainly Veronica Kudermatova, Maria Sakari, Alina Rabakina, players we've talked about uh, both last week and throughout the past week on our mini-break podcast, all winners from the event as well. And what is the theme we continue to see? Young players are making their move both in the women's game and in the men's game as well. And that's where I want to take us next because we had two results in Antalya and Delray Beach. Both of our winners considered part of the next-gen cohort in Antalya. It was Alex Diemenauer getting a default victory over the boob, Sasha Bublik in Delray. It was Hoopy Hercots. Believe he didn't drop a set all week long, Jamie. On his way to the title, he knocks off young American Sebastian Corda in the final. Your thoughts on the opening week of ATP play? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, look, I'll start with her catch because he's very interesting to me. He's somebody whose momentum definitely was halted um, by everything that's happened with the pandemic. I mean, let's be honest, most players were, but him in particular, he was in a really good spot. We saw some phenomenal stuff from him. Everybody was excited about him 2019 and, and what was going to happen, the Hubie story. And, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, he really wasn't able to capitalize on that. So it's really good for me um, to see him come out here and get a title right away. Um, that's Delray Beach. On the other side, unfortunate that we didn't actually get to see that final play out, right? Because Bublik was coming up with some great wins. Alex de Manure obviously looking really good as well with that win over Goffin. So that would have been exciting. But um, I think the level that de Manure displayed, um, he definitely deserves to get that title. So it, it, it doesn't really bother me that much. Just unfortunate that we didn't get to see the final as a spectacle itself. Yeah, no, two good points. To start with Hercots, there's... A little modern-day Andy Murray shades of his game in that he's got all the tools in the toolbox, right? He can play big tennis. He can be aggressive going down the line. He likes to move forward, get to the net, use his first serve as a weapon. But he's also a guy who's plenty happy 
playing six feet behind the baseline, playing to the pace of his opponent. Now, I do think that can be an issue for him. I do think he's very much a guy who will play uh, the style of play, the level that his opponent is playing. And, you know, you want to see a player take a match by the reins. You want to see them control the court. Hubie doesn't do that too, as frequently as we would like, but all of the skills are there. And you're right, that was a really good win for him uh, over a banged up quarter in the final, but Hubie took care of business. He was the number one seed. He was expected to win this event. That's exactly what he did. Uh, or he wasn't the number one seed. Excuse like he was Christian the four. Karen was, but he was a top, yeah, he was a top four seed. He was probably the favorite with Isner entering this event that he got the title. Obviously, a big step for him here to start the season. Worth noting again, Sebastian Cord is the real deal, folks. I think he's like 22 and five now and since August. Uh, the guy's an absolute stud, and it's win, not if he's going to crack the top 100. Uh, in terms of Antalya, I think it's worth noting for Alex Diemenauer, quarterfinalist last year at the U.S. Open, made that final, was it in Sofia, I want to say, before he lost to Ugo Umber at the end of the year. Now he comes to Antalya, gets a title to start his season, three-set win over David Goffin, I believe, in the semifinals. Alex Diemenauer is the real deal, folks, particularly on hard courts. Is this the year we see him make the jump to the top 15, top 10? Honestly, maybe, because I think he's that good on a hard court now, Jamie. I think if it's a hard court event, Masters, 500s, honestly, maybe even a Grand Slam, depending on the draw, pencil him into the round of 16, maybe even the quarterfinals or further at this point. Yeah, I mean, he's going to make, he's going to be able to make these deep runs. He just is. He's that talented. You know, his movement is just A+. plus. Um, now, you're still going to have times where he runs into somebody who just does the job that much better, right? A power hitter who's just on fire. Damon Hour might not be able to stop him on a certain day, right? And the fact that the fact is, to make a run in a huge tournament, you have to kind of get lucky and not run into somebody who's on fire like that. So that that's something that you know it might be sort of out of his control, so to speak. But uh, yeah, anytime there's a hardcore tournament, he is absolutely a contender for it. That's why we would have really liked to watch Sasha Bublik play against mm-hmm. him. The big serve, the weapons. How would Demon Hour have held up? Of course. Also worth noting in Antalya, <clears throat> we saw. Matteo Berrettini uh, knocked out early. I want to say six and six. He lost to Bublik, I believe, if memory serves me correct. And, you know, again, he was a guy who, after having such an incredible 2019, making the year end finals, we want to see how real that was moving into 2021 now that we should have a relatively more normal slate of events. So just a little thing to keep in note. But of course, the thing all of us are looking forward to, the first Grand Slam of the 2021 season. And I'll tell you what, it seems like that event is going to go down, but there will be plenty of more drama on the pathway to the start of the 2021 Australian Open. That's what I want to talk about here down the home stretch today, Jamie, because we have learned lots of information, lots of drama unfolding over the past week in Australia. Here's where we are at right now, Jamie. Somewhere between 72 and 107 people currently in full quarantine conditions in Australia. What that means. The Australian Open had negotiated with the government of Australia to allow these players while quarantining after they arrived from across the globe, as we mentioned, uh, or as we have mentioned, I should say, to come play this Australian Open event. Now, the waiver, the exemptions made was they are going to be allowed five uh, five hours a day outdoors to practice on the court, to work out in the gym, etc. as long as they continue to test negative. As those tests continue to be negative, they were going to be afforded more and more time outside. 
That's no longer the case for these players. As five different flights that arrived in Australia, Jamie, had someone test positive for COVID upon arrival. The result being that these players, again, now in a full quarantine, not allowed to leave their rooms for the next two weeks. And Jamie, on social media, we have already seen so much quarantine content. These players practicing in their rooms, doing conditioning in their rooms, eagerly waiting to get outside of their room, sharing the food they're eating, sharing the activities they're doing, all of the above. Let's just start here. Your reaction to the first week of drama we've seen unfold in Australia? Yeah, well, first of all, it's kind of like a I don't know, it sends me back to early quarantine days, right, where you get all of this random <laughs> content that you don't know what to do with. But um, now it's just, it's a little different because they're all occupying a very similar space geographically, except they're just not interacting with one another. So it's it's a weird thing. Um, it's been enjoyable seeing all the different creative things people are doing, hitting off of mattresses, putting random lines of tape on the ground, doing conditioning things. I mean, look, it's not ideal for anybody, but at this point, are we surprised that things went awry in Australia. I mean, come on. Yeah, no, I mean, God help the the cleaning staff in the hotel. God help any human who's there that's not a part of the tournament. And I know it's all tournament staff pretty much in the hotel, but any of the workers, any of the anyone who's just here, ball after ball, thud against the wall. You hear people in the room above you running, literal 5Ks in the room across the floor. And look, we get it. Like, all of this is because these players have to accommodate some form of training right now, right? This is them being creative, being clever, staying disciplined. But, oh, my God, like, God help anyone who's trying to go to sleep at a reasonable time. You know at 10 p.m. things are bumping. Someone's trying to get in a late-night workout, and you're just like, please, I'm trying to sleep. And you call down to the front desk for a noise complaint. The line is 20 calls long because they're fielding all these different noise complaints already. Uh, it is certainly something that being said, what did you expect if you're a tennis fan? We're trying to hold a Grand Slam, which is 128 draws across two singles event, plus the doubles, plus the junior, plus the wheelchair tennis, etc., etc., etc. And we are still in the midst of a pandemic, right? There's a reason the Australian government, when they worry about cases, it's not because there are thousands of cases a day. They start to worry about cases when there are tens of cases a day. That's why Australia has done so much better than so many other places across the globe in combating this pandemic. And look, we've seen a lot of complaints from players who feel like they've been shafted a little bit, who feel like they didn't have a clear picture of what they were getting into. Respectfully, I just disagree. Now, maybe there were miscommunications here and there, but reading the public information made available by the Australian government, by Tennis Australia, and hearing the responses from so many of the government officials responsible for coordinating this event, I don't know if there was just a disconnect between what the players thought was going to happen and what Tennis Australia was telling them was going to happen, but... Some sort of miscommunication has led to this complaining, and in reality, we should all just be celebrating the fact that we are even going to have this slam in the first place. Well, yeah, I mean, look, professional tennis players, they're going to they are gonna complain if they don't get to do exactly <laughs> what they want to do, right? I mean, that, that, that right there is nothing new. Uh, what's new is it's in a setting of a global pandemic. And yeah, it is a little crazy to me that you have players coming from across the world who are wanting to come in and demand things of the Australian government and tell them how to do this. And They've been the ones who have been most on top of this, and they've taken this seriously. And so, yeah, kudos for them to even trying to make the litany of accommodations that you would have to to put this thing on um, and taking it seriously, right? They're, they're not buckling and saying, like, oh, well, we can give the they're – staying, they're staying strong. They're standing firm um, in the resolutions and what they're doing with their guidelines and restrictions. So you, you got to respect that. And even though um, it's a pain for many of these players and anyone involved with the tournament – 
they're doing what they think is right and they're doing what they think is going to keep everybody the safest. And at the end of the day, that's really all you can ask for from an organizer perspective. Yeah, and look, Novak Djokovic has received a lot of criticism for sending a letter to Craig Tiley asking mm-hmm. for some accommodations for the players. And there's been some bad looks, right? The special Adelaide hotel for all the top players in the world that is a little bit more accommodating than the standard hotel for most of the players in Melbourne. But again, A, Novak Djokovic just trying to speak on the, for the sentiments. A lot of players are feeling he's just the face of those sentiments so frequently. But again, yeah, B, we want these players to stay safe, stay healthy. What all of these positive tests are showing is that the testing works. This was always going to be the case anytime a sport has come back, and it's not surprised to see tennis face these problems. Now, where tennis gets a little bit under the gun is they're in a time crunch, right? They can't afford to push the start bait. Uh, date of the Australian Open back to accommodate for everyone. They need to get rocking and rolling right away so that, you know, the South American swing, Acapulco, Rotterdam, all of those things can get started on time. My question to you, Jamie, how do you think the play is going to suffer at this Australian Open because of what's transpired over these past few days? Well, I think it's going to be everybody's first excuse um, when they lose and get <laughs> off the court. So let's say that. I, I think, honestly, it's going to occupy more of a mental um, sort of factor than it is anything else. Obviously, you know, this isn't ideal for anybody. Sure, there are those variables that's going to make some people feel better on court than others, and, and that's simply the way it is. Uh, but I think it's going to be more of a mental thing where people are constantly thinking about that lack of sort of typical preparation, um, and it's going to be in their mind. And so the people who aren't sort of strongly going through that, they're going to be worried about it. They're going to be thinking about it on courts. They're going to be the first thing they say in the press conference. It's like, oh, well, I just had no rhythm. Not surprising. I couldn't actually practice for two weeks. Um, so to me, that's really where it's going to make the impact. I hope that we don't see some just awful drop-off um, in actual level of play. Sure, there might be a little bit of rust factor there, but these guys are professionals um, across the board. And so I'm still expecting great tennis. But again, I think it's going to be everybody's first excuse. No, I, that's completely fair. And look, I think Yulia Putin-Seva made a really good point when she said, I don't know if it's healthy for me to not play any tennis and then go play that warm-up event immediately afterwards in the week building up to Australia. I think that's going to be a really sloppy week of tennis. I just think, again, for so many of these players who are just trying to get back out on court now, you know, for all these pros... Two weeks, is that going to really affect their games? No, of course not. And then they have a week to work things out. But, you know, for so many of these players, when they come into the Australian Open, that's after six-week training blocks in the off season. And, you know, obviously these two weeks for 102 of these players is going to disrupt uh, that training block. And that's disappointing for all of us tennis fans. You would love to see a world where Australia could push back the tournament another week just to give all these players an extra week uh, to train and get back in shape. But again, we are playing a slam in a pandemic. The, the key is safety and health before anything else. And Australia is already doing the ATP and WTA. It's a huge solid just by letting the Australian Open continue. So I agree. I think it is going to be an excuse we hear a lot about justifiably. Uh, but of course, I still these are pro tennis players. I think in the end, we're still going to get some really good action here at this Australian Open. And with that in mind, Jamie, one final question for you. Our deciding point here today, we thought we'd have some fun because of course, these players, 
players are going to be spending a ton of time with one another over the next four weeks. They're going to learn the ins and outs, the quirks of one another. Who's a comfortable uh, room-sharing partner? Who is not? Who do you want to live in the hall with you? We figured that would be the question we would tackle today, Jamie, in the inverse meaning of all of the players in Australia, Jamie, all of the personalities. I'm going to ask it twofold. Who is the person you would most want in the room next to you? And who is the person you would least want in the room next to you? It's tough, right? It depends what sort of mood you're on. If you're looking for some entertainment, <laughs> being next to people like Tomich might be really fun for you. Uh, but no, overall, from what I've seen on social media, I mean, everybody is basically in the same boat of doing training stuff. So I, I don't think you're going to avoid any of that. You're going to hear some feet shuffling. You might hear a ball bouncing here and there. From what I've seen, at least the drills that I've seen, I think Sitsipas would be one of the worst because have you seen he's basically just setting up, dropping a reflex ball and then scrambling for it. And it's like, dude, if I have to hear that over and over and over, that's what's going to drive me crazy, not a ball hitting against a mattress. So I think Sitsipas is probably my worst best. Best is tough because, you know, it it really depends what sort of mood you're on. In in some ways, you could say Sitsipas might be the best because you could hear him like singing or, you know, reciting poetry or some random thing. I, I think there are just too many any options for me to name a best but worst i'll go with sitsy boss just because i think he'd drive me craziest the fastest no i think that's a really good point i you know a weekend maybe four days in the guitar is coming out we're going to yeah. be messing with garage band there will be some independent vlogging or podcasting whatever it may be i just hope they have enough for breeze right and like sense in the hotel because you imagine you open up the doors to one of these rooms and you're like oh my god what is that and then you're like oh yeah these players these world-class athletes have been training in there for two weeks straight with no insulation yeah it smells like garbage in here um God, best and worst. This is really tough. I mean, you think someone who's someone who's training like all day, 24-7, that that might drive you insane when you're like, dude, I'm trying to play my video games here. Now, who do I want as my neighbor? Francis Tiafo, because if you saw his snacks, the amount of Hershey's cookies and creams and Haribo's he's got, I'd be like, dude, just slide me one under the door, please. You've got the sponsors. I've got nothing. I'm here rocking my denizen shirt, you know, at the end. Uh, so please hook me up with your Hershey's and cookies and cream. But, uh... Oh, who would I least want? It's my own question. I can't even answer it. I don't know. Yeah, there's a t- there's a bunch of tough ones. Probably Pablo Cuevas, just because of the frequency of content and just I feel like he's doing a lot of stuff up there. And I'd be like, what what's going on, Pablo? Like you're you're uh, you're confusing me a little bit. But look, they're all good choices. More than anything, again, I think the amount of content, the amount of Someone's got to write the book, right, of the four weeks in Australia, what it was like to be in that hotel. Hopefully there are people on site getting ready to do just that. And hopefully, again, we will get to see the Australian Open continue, even if there is a little bit of complaining more than anything else. We just want to see these players back on court playing once again. So that is something all of us can look forward to. Of course, we have a huge weekend ahead of us in the college tennis season. And for all of you fans out there who want to follow along with us, be sure to come check out our Red zone type coverage of this ITA kickoff weekend. We're going to be jumping from site to site. Hopefully between five of the seven host sites, you're going to be able to follow all the action as it heats up throughout the course of the weekend. So be on the lookout for that. And of course, shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff for all the work he does. Jamie, any final thoughts on the last week of action? 
I, I can't even predict the type of content that we're going to see over the next week or more, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. So I'm going to be attached to Tennis Twitter to see. Um, and, and look, maybe we'll provide an update. If somebody looks like they'd be an extra bad hotel mate, we'll add that in there because I'm sure there's going to be tons of stuff that comes out um, in the next few days alone. Five words for you, Jamie. Onlyfans.com slash Bernard Tomich. That's the place to be throughout these next two weeks. But with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host, Jamie McDonald, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and all of us here at Crack Brackets, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been watching another edition of The Deciding Point, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>